0: As you're seated, let's uh, go back again to the prophet Jonah, our Old Testament there. And uh, We took just a little interlude uh, last week to share about our July 4th celebration and such. While you're turning there, uh, let me share with you, many of you have asked uh, about growing spiritually, about your discipleship and such as that. And uh, to do that, there's... The way I've done it for years, there's many elements to that, and it takes more than just, uh, you know, preaching about something or whatever. But here's what the Lord's put on my heart to do. Uh, beginning when school starts back and we get back to our regular Wednesday evening programs, in this room on Wednesday evening, I want to be sharing with you something that I call followology. Followology, that's the study of following and learning how to follow the Lord as our... He is our discipler. He's the disciple maker. And what that looks like and how we practically can do that. It's going to be a practical presentation for as long as the Lord gives me to be here with you. And that will give you some tools. You know, we've got to wait for our new pastor to know exactly the kind of discipleship program he's going to want us to do. But this will be laying a foundation that he'll be able to build on top of. That's all I'm about while I'm doing here is laying this foundation to our pastor. When he comes, we'll have a great foundation to build on top of. So, with that in mind, let's focus our attention back on Jonah. You'll remember where we've been. Uh, This is far from a children's story. This is far from a fish tale. This is a phenomenal experience that we walk and encounter God with. He has really been uh, encountering me as I've been preparing to share this. As we look to chapter 1, Jonah gets called uh, to go to Nineveh, the capital city of Assyria. And they were some of Israel's most hated and despised enemy. They had already decimated Israel in so many ways, taken so many people away, killed so many. It was horrible. They were one of the most violent uh, and really horrible civilizations that were known in history. And so God came to Jonah and he said, Jonah, I want you to go and preach to the people in Nineveh, the capital city of Assyria. Well, Jonah heard that call loud and clear. And uh, he got on a boat and headed in the exact opposite direction. And that's when uh, the violent storm came. And the only way that uh, the boat was going to be saved, the people going to be saved, is Jonah really gave his life and allowed himself to be thrown overboard. So that was in chapter 1. Here's what we learned from that. We learned you can run from God, but you can't hide. The harder that you run from him, bam, the harder you run into him. Because he's not going to let you get away with second best when you can have first best. You can have the very best of him for your life. And so he loves us enough to encounter us. Then we got to chapter 2, where Jonah found himself sinking lower and lower and lower in the, in the ocean. And then this big whale, this big fish, whatever it was, came up and swallowed him. And there in the belly of the, the beast, uh, he cried out to God. God, I don't want to die. I, I, I want to make vows to you. I want to sacrifice sacrifices to you. And he had this tremendous prayer. Here's what we learned. No matter how low you go, God can reach and pick you up. When, when you hit bottom, God is right there. He was right there with Jonah in the belly of the beast. And he answered his prayer. No matter how low we go, sometimes some of us have to get dragged on the bottom for a while before we wake up to what God wants to do in our lives and look up to Him. So we learn that in chapter 2, down to the last couple of verses. We're going to start there at verse 8 and pick up and move into chapter 3 and find this third lesson that God wants us to hear from His prophet, Jonah. Jonah chapter 2, look at verse 8. Those who regard worthless idols... Forsake their own mercy or their own source of mercy. But I, I will sacrifice to you with a voice of thanksgiving. I will pay what I have vowed. Salvation is of the Lord. So the Lord spoke to the fish and it vomited Jonah out onto dry land. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, it is is so important right now. I just want to beg you, Holy Spirit that this not be just some story out of the Bible. But this becomes, as it is, the living and active, infallible Word of God to speak to our hearts right now where we are today. Because we're so like Jonah in so many ways. And we need the grace and mercy that he experienced as well. We pray this in your name. Amen. Jonah was sorry. He he was sorry that he had made God mad. Uh, He was sorry that he was punished by having to spend three days and nights in the belly of the beast. But he was not sorry that he hadn't gone to Nineveh. He hadn't changed his mind whatsoever about his hatred... Of the Ninevites, he probably had members of his family, dear friends of him, who had, whose lives had been decimated by the Assyrians when they invaded Israel and, and down into Judah. And so he had this, this patriotic hatred for, for this people group. And he didn't repent of that. How, how can you say that? Well, you can even see it in his prayer. There, those who regard worthless idols forsake their own source of mercy. Who's he talking about? He's talking about the Syrians. He's talking about those who, who worship idols and, and, and worship their, uh, their, their own uh, leader as, as a god. You know, that's, that's who he's talking about. But he's saying, oh, but me. <laughs> me, I'm, I'm different. I know the Lord God. And and I'm going to pay my vows, and I'm going to make my sacrifices to him. I'm not like them dirty, old, rotten, horrible Assyrians whatsoever. We sense right away, this man is only half-hearted. Now, we're going to see it even more as we go into the third chapter. Just half-hearted in his commitment whatsoever. We also know because Jonah did exactly what he said he was going to do when he got out of the belly of the beast, when he was vomited up on dry land, he didn't make a beeline for Nineveh. He made a beeline for Jerusalem. Because at Jerusalem, that's where the temple was. And he could pay his vows and he could make his sacrifices and worship his God and share his testimony. Let me tell you what happened to me. Let me tell you how God delivered me. And I can hear him just waxing eloquent in that prophetic voice of his about he had spent these three days and nights in the belly of the beast and God had had delivered him. I'm not sure he told the whole story, though. I'm not sure that he told the reason that he found himself in the belly of the beast was because he was walking in absolute disobedience to God and just refusing to do what God put in his heart to do. So I think he was up to some tricks we're going to see him playing here in the third chapter in just a few moments as well. You see, he still hated these Assyrians. Have you ever disagreed with God as to who deserved to be saved? Have you ever disagreed with him about whether somebody is worthy of his grace and mercy? Now I know you say, "Oh, brother Fred, now come on now, I know better than that. That's a trick question. I know that everybody deserves to be saved. Do you really? What about those historical serial killers? Well, what about Ted Bundy? Jeffrey Dahmer, John Wayne Gacy, Charles Manson, the Boston Marathon bombers. What about the rapist, the child abuser, those who traffic in the sex trade and selling women and children? What about, what about that person who hurts you? What about that person who just caused your world to shatter? Who walked out of your life? Or that person who took the life of the one that you love so much? Or the one who made off with your business or your life savings? What about the doctor that botched that operation and your child died? Do you pray for that person to be saved? Or would you rather justice to be done? Because if justice was served, people who do these horrible things would burn in hell. Isn't Isn't that what we really feel? Isn't there a little bit of Jonah in each and every one of us? And don't we find ourselves sometimes thinking we're more just than God is? And we have a higher standard even than he? Oh, as soon as you say it, you know that's wrong. But there's something in our heart. We're more like Jonah than we'd like to admit. Welcome to his world. Let's, let's jump into chapter 3. And we'll see about this reluctant prophet. Now, the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time. Pause right there. The word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time. Why did the word of the Lord come to Jonah a second time? Because he hadn't obeyed it the first time. God had to call him again. God had to call him a second time because he didn't obey the first time. Now, I don't know how it was with you growing up. Uh, we lived on first one military base and then the other. But because we were all crammed in together, we all had the families, everybody had kids and everything. And if we had kids, we had friends all over the neighborhood. And it would be getting late in the evening. <clears throat> Mom would have supper on the, on the, uh, the sto- uh, stove. And she'd step out on the back step and she'd say, Freddie! And I could hear that blocks away. Come on home. Well, you know what I did? I kept right on playing with my friends. I kept right on having fun and doing the things that I'd been doing. A little while later, she'd step out on that back step again, and she'd say, Don't you make me call you again. And I knew in just a little bit, she'd step out there one more time and she'd say, you wait till your daddy gets home. So somewhere between the second announcement and the third, I would find myself back home. Why did mama have to call me again? Because I hadn't come the first time. Why did Jonah have to be called again? Because he refused to obey the first time, but listen, what about a God that loves his children so much, he'll call them a second time, even when they've disobeyed him, even when they've ignored him? I am delighted to stand before you today and to share with you We serve the God of a second chance. We serve a God of the second chance. Some of you and I, I, I'm one of them, are here today because God gave us a second chance. We're here today because God in His grace didn't cut us off when we refused Him the first time. I'm one of the, Are you one of those? Slip your hand up for just a minute. Are you one of those that are here today because God gave you a second chance? Some of you have been good all your life, I can tell. But if, you've, if God ever gave you a second chance, let me see your hand real quick. Okay, thank you. Now. You're here today because God gave you a second chance. Let me tell you something. When believers take God up on his offer for a second chance, lost people get a first chance. This is reality. When God's people take God up on a second chance and go and do the things and obey the way that God has called them to do, lost people get a chance to hear for the very first time. Many of us today, God, we know exactly what God's been calling us to do. He's been calling us to to share our faith, to share our faith journey with someone else, to step up and to speak a word of truth into somebody's life, to share a, a scripture verse to somebody. And we just said, I ain't going to do it. Let me tell you, God loves you enough to give you another chance. If you'll take it. And if you'll take him up on the second chance, that's going to make it possible for some people to have a chance. This is something that that we learn from from Jonah. Now, let's, let's see what happens. The word of the Lord came to Jonah for a second time saying, arise and go to Nineveh. Nothing has changed. Same call, second verse, okay? Arise and go to Nineveh, that great city, and preach to it the message that I tell you. Preach to it the message that I give you. Listen to me very carefully. If you lead a small group, Sunday school class, teach youth, babies, whatever it is, if you're a preacher, if you're a deacon, whatever, listen to me. Here's the call of God you preach the message I give you, you don't deviate from that. You preach the infallible word of God that I have given you. This world doesn't need the gospel according to Fred. They need to hear the story of how God's grace has worked in my life. They need to hear the gospel coming from me. But they don't need the gospel of Fred. They need the gospel of Jesus Christ, who alone can transform lives. And that's the only message that you and I get to preach. But listen, that's the message, but God's call is to preach the whole message. Do not leave anything out. To preach the whole counsel of God. And that can be uncomfortable sometimes. And that was uncomfortable for Noah, uh, Jonah. And we're going to find out in a minute how he skirted around that. But he said, preach the message that I am going to give you. And then look look at verse 3. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh. Good idea, Jonah. You see... He'd seen the belly of the beast one time. He really did not want to see it again. That was enough. And so he obeyed. Now, this was a half-hearted obedience. I see him grumbling and kicking sand all the way. But he obeyed. It wasn't wholehearted obedience. But it was some obedience. Listen to me very carefully. There is a disease that has infected the church of Jesus Christ, especially in America today. And it's the disease of minimal obedience. What do I have to get? What's the bare minimum that I have to do to get by with? How little can I do in order to satisfy God? And that's what we're looking for, the bare minimum obedience. Let me give you a picture of that. When we were here uh, pastoring this great church, and our boys were real young. We lived out on Crawford Circle. And it was in the fall. Leaves had been falling for some time. And I had something I had to do that Saturday morning, first thing. So I called the boys outside, gave them all rakes. I said, guys, start raking the yard. I'm going to be back here in a little bit, and, and then we'll finish up. Okay? So I was gone for a little while. I came back, and there was one pile of leaves right here in the yard. And I went in the house and I called the roll, got them all together. I said, guys, I told you to rake the front yard. We raked. See that pile right over there? What were they doing? Were they doing what kids do? Bare, minimal obedience. How little can I get by with? And that infects the church of Jesus Christ. One of the reasons we don't see some of the great things happening in America that we did decades ago is because we have bought a counterfeit of bare minimum obedience. And in the church of Jesus Christ, fewer and fewer people are sold out to him, body, mind, and soul. Jonah obey. Let's see what that bare minimum obedience looks like. So Jonah rose and went to Nineveh, according to the Word of God. Now, Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, a three-day journey across. It would take three days of walking all day long from sunup to sundown. three days to get all the way across the city of Nineveh. Now, nowadays, that's nothing compared to the metroplexes that we have in the world today, indeed. But at that day, this was one of the largest cities there was. And so, okay, it takes a three-day journey to walk all the way across. God told Jonah, you go to Nineveh, you preach the message that I give you. Let's look at his obedience. Verse 4, and Jonah began to enter the city for the first day's walk. He began to enter the city. For the first day's walk. This didn't happen in the second day or the third day, a third of the way across the city or two-thirds of the way across the city. This happened just inside the city gate. Now, now, now here's Jonah. He steps inside the city gate. All right, God, I'm here. He steps over to one side and then he preaches. What's he preach? Let's, Let's read on. And Jonah began to enter the city, the first day's walk, and then he cried out and he said, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown, or your Bible may say destroyed. This sermon that he just preached was five words long in the Hebrew language. Five words. He steps inside the city gates, off to one side, lifts up that booming prophetic voice of his, and utters five words, steps back in the city gate, out he goes. I think he goes out, and he sits on a hill, and he said, okay, God, I did it. Walked all the way to Nineveh, just went inside town, just preached. Can I go home now? There was so much God wanted the people in Nineveh to know. Yes, about His wrath and His justice, but also about His heart and about His grace and mercy and about His provision for those who will follow Him. None of those things were included in this message. Five words. Some of you wish my sermons would be about that long, don't you? Five words, and then He's out of here. Gone. Jonah didn't expect anything to happen. He didn't want anything to happen. He was practicing minimal obedience. He stepped inside the city gate. He gave the essence of the message, and then he turned around and left. I'm done. There's my pile of leaves. I raked. Some of us are more like Jonah than we would like to admit. Much more like him than we would like to admit. Bare minimum obedience. But then again, Jonah didn't expect any results. He didn't want any results. Did you hear what Matt said earlier? I appreciate him saying that. I need to pay him for that, by the way. That we need to come expecting something to happen. We need to come expecting God to move in our heart when we worship and when we sing and when we pray and when we give and when we hear and respond to the Word of God. Did you come expecting anything to happen in your heart today? Or you expecting it to happen in somebody else's heart? <laughs> oh, God, move in somebody's life out there. Get, get all them people straightened out. Did you come here today expecting something to happen in your heart? You get what you expect. You get what you expect. Jonah wasn't expecting any results. He was half-hearted in his whole desire to do this thing. But I want you to look and see what happened. How God can even take half-hearted obedience and do something with it. Look at verse 5. So the people of Nineveh believed God Proclaimed a fast, put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. Now, now you've got to catch a picture of this. The people in Nineveh spoke a whole different language than Jonah. I mean, they were all Middle Eastern languages, but even today they're very different from one, you know, country to another. And the dialects within the countries are very different. Jonah stepped inside the gate speaking in Hebrew, spoke five words and left. How did this happen Two things? Holy Spirit had been working for some time. Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God who knows the beginning and the end, he knew he had a reluctant prophet. He knew he had a prophet that was just going to give him uh, half-hearted allegiance. But see, Holy Spirit had obviously been working in the people in that city for months and maybe years ahead of time. And Holy Spirit had somebody standing near the gate that spoke Hebrew and heard this, and then what did they do? Everybody said, "Well, was that crazy guy say? Well, what did he say? He said, in forty days, that Nineveh is going to be defeated. does that mean? What's that mean? and they began to talk about. It. God began to move. It spread like a tsunami the three days' journey across that whole city. It even came into the king's household. Look at the next verse. Then the word came to the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne and laid aside his robe and covered himself with sackcloth and sat in ashes. Now, this was uh, from the Middle East even today. This is a a symbol across uh, cultures about grieving over one's sin. To, to dress myself in sackcloth and to throw ashes in the, and dirt in the air to fall all over you. Remember, Job did that hundreds of years before this ever happened. But it was a symbol of grieving over sin. This is not something Jonah did. This is something the Spirit of God did. You and I have not lived in our lifetime to see the Spirit of God move like this. But oh, how I'm longing to see it before I die. To see God moving in such a powerful way that people just fall under conviction not even hearing the Word of God. It's happened in our in America. It's happened here on a couple of occasions. It happened back in the 80s down in Brownsville, Texas. There's there's times it's happened and, and I'll pray that we'll see that one day. That God will move so mightily that people on the street, well, neighbors would go to neighbors and tell me, how are you can you tell me how to get right with God? This is something that was happening. It's a move of Holy Spirit. Man can't cause this. It happened all over Nineveh. All over Nineveh. Look what the king did. And the king calls to be proclaimed and published throughout Nineveh by the decree of the king and his nobles saying, let neither man nor beast, herd or flock, taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink water. But let a man and beast be covered with sackcloth and cry mightily to God, yes, and let every one of them turn from his evil way and from the violence that was in his hands. See, that was what they were known for as a bloody, violent people. Let him turn from that. And who can tell if God will turn and relent and turn away from his fierce anger and that we may not perish? He made, it, he made it the law. Everybody. But everybody was doing it anyway. You see that incredible movement of Holy Spirit? Now let's go back to Jonah for a moment. <clears throat> Let me tell you a lesson that I learned from Ray Whiten, who was a minister of music here for so many years. Ray used to say this over and over again. God can't bless disobedience. You ever heard him say that? Many of you have. God can't bless disobedience, but he will bless obedience, even if it's half-hearted obedience. And that's what he did here. Here we had this reluctant prophet, hated these people, really didn't want to see them changed at all, and yet God took his half-hearted obedience, five-word sermon, and cut to the heart of a city. Nineveh had a chance to accept the God of Israel because the prophet of the God of Israel got a second chance. And what did they do? They responded to it. They responded. Look then at verse 10. Then God saw their works that they turned from their evil way and God relented from the disaster that he had said that he would bring upon them and he did not do it. God saw their hearts, but he also saw that their, their repentance was obvious in their lives. It wasn't that they were just sorry for being caught. They wanted a change. They wanted their lives to be different. And it could be. Let me tell you two things we know historically. Jonah never left Nineveh. He spent his life sharing about his God to the people of Nineveh. He did have a turn of heart. That won't happen until after chapter 4. But he did have a turn of heart. And he gave his life. He was buried there. He gave his life for the people that he thought he hated. Secondly, we know this, from the whole generation of people that were alive when Jonah preached and repented before the Lord, God withdrew his hand. He withdrew his wrath. But as these people who knew Jonah began to die, the generation that followed them returned to the same wickedness of their father's. And came back with evil and violence and a vengeance. And God raised up another prophet. His name was Nahum. And God, through Nahum, spoke the prophecy of destruction over Assyria yet again. And Nineveh was indeed destroyed. We know exactly where Nineveh was. There's archaeological digs that go on there today. But nothing was ever built back on that site. Just like God's word said. Nineveh would forever be destroyed. And it was. But one entire generation was spared. Because a reluctant prophet even half-heartedly obeyed. Now God wants us to give total obedience. Don't misunderstand. God can't bless our disobedience. But he will bless our obedience. So let's draw this together. Where are we today? I am glad that I serve a God of the second chance. I've had to come to him many times in my life and say, Lord, I heard you and I didn't obey you. I'm sorry. I repent of that. I want to go and do exactly what you told me to do. And he's given me that second chance. Some of you are right there today. You know what God's calling you to do. You know who he's wanting you to talk to you know what kind of obedience he's calling for you in your life. Some of you he's calling to service. Some of you may be calling even to ministry. And you've been keeping him at arm's length. You've been sticking your fingers in your ears. La, 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 la. Anything whatsoever to drown out that call on your life. God's patience will wear out. But round a day, you have a second chance. You can say, God, I repent. I want to turn away from rebelling against you. I haven't seen the inside of the belly of the beast, but I've drugged along the bottom for a while, and I don't want to be there no more. If you'll give me a second chance, I'll grab onto it like a lifeline. Some of you want to talk about God like that today. But let me tell you something. If you do that, if you do that, other people are going to have a chance. Some of them are in your family. Some of them are in your family. And if you'll take God up at this second chance, He's going to give some in your family a chance because they see your obedience. God is the God of the second chance. He wants you to take that chance. But if you'll take that chance, then there are those who need a chance who'll have it. It's time to do business with God. Will you bow your heads with me, please? Close your eyes and just commune with God ever how you can. Listen to me very carefully. Right now, if God is dealing with your heart... And you know what he's wanted you to do. And you've steadfastly done everything you can not to do that. Maybe you've suffered his disciplinary action. Maybe you find yourself on the bottom and bumping bottom right now. But with all within your heart right now, you want it to quit. You've spent long enough in the belly of the beast. You've spent long enough been put up on a shelf. You want God to come back and renew the joy of your salvation. You want Him to come back and give you a second chance. Will you ask Him right now? Everybody's head's bowed and eyes are closed. You might want to get up from where you sit right now and come to the altar. Come on and do that while I'm talking. Others of you here, it's a calling God's placed on your life. And you know that. You know He wants you to be a certain kind of man or woman. You know He wants you to live a certain way. You've been fighting Him on that. But right now, Holy Spirit has pierced your heart. It's nothing about Fred Lodge. Holy Spirit has pierced your heart, calling you to change. Maybe you want to come right now to the altar and pray. But deal with it wherever you are. Some of you are longing to know God in a personal way. You want to know Him as maybe the father you never had. Or just know Him in in His realness. And you want to give your heart and life to God. I'm going to be right around here in the front of the church for a while. People are going to be back in the Connection Center through the glass doors. Let us show you how to ask Jesus Christ to come into your heart and life. Let's pray. Father, we want to say yes to you right now. Whatever it is you're calling us to do, our answer is yes. You can't bless our disobedience but how you long to bless our obedience. Yes, Lord. I hear you. And I will obey. By the power and grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.